We thank you, O God, that you are our great shepherd. Your word describes it as you are the great shepherd of the sheep. And we are those who need to be led. Left unto ourselves, Isaiah paints a different picture when he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him, on the great shepherd, the iniquity of us all. So under your leading, O Lord God, this morning, by the promise of your Holy Spirit through the lips of the Lord Jesus as you as he promised to his disciples and to us. It's a promise from God. And so this morning, I pray that those promises would become very evident as we hear from your word. Not only will our hearts be changed, but may our lives exhibit that which you call us to do as sheep. May we follow faithful. May we listen today, O Lord God, to your instructions from your word. And may they impact us so much that the world around us would see you and not us. To these things we ask in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I need to do something this morning. I'm very, very warm up here. The rest of you kind of, you're comfortable, aren't you? Are you warm? You're hot? Man, someone hit those fans. Let this baby get cool off. This morning we have a very interesting question. They're all pretty interesting, I should say that, but... This one has a, if you will, a double meaning. If you look at Joel chapter 2 and you look at Acts chapter 2, they have something very, very much in common. It's a passage of scripture that Joel shares with the nation of Israel in Joel chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter refers to that passage that Joel speaks of. But when you go to study the the book of Joel, you're going to find some very interesting things. Number one, no one really knows for sure where the book of Joel lines up. Some say it was the very first minor prophet speaking. And some say, no, it was the very last So there's dissension in the ranks as to when was the book of Joel accomplished? That's really not the the major issue. The, The major issue is that Joel, like all the other prophets, are warning the nation of Israel. When you begin to read Joel chapter 1... You come to realize that the land has been ravaged by locusts. They've come in droves. And according to the historians of now, as we reflect back in these times of Scripture, 
It was one of the most feared plagues. Because they knew that once the locusts came, nothing green was going to remain. They would destroy everything. There wasn't a wall that could stop them. There wasn't anything that could prevent them from coming. The only way they could come was by a wind to bring them. And then the only way they could be dissipated was was by a wind to take them away. And so God had brought upon the nation of Israel in chapter 1, in the first section of chapter 2, this plague. Because of, as obvious as you know your, your great Bible history, because of the fact that the nation of Israel had begun to turn and was still turning their back on God. They began to chase after other gods. But what is interesting in in Joel chapter 2, Joel sets the remedy. Joel gives to the nation of Israel a hope. And the hope is, if you want to get rid of this plague, turn back to God. Turn back to God. And he will reestablish you. Now, if you've already found the book of Joel, pat yourself on the back because it's one of those hidden ones. It's between Hosea and Amos. It's right in there. It's hiding. But over in chapter 2, verse 28, our English Bible does not do the book of Joel justice. In the Hebrew Bible, Joel has four chapters. In the English, it's only three. The third chapter of Joel would really begin at chapter 2, verse 28. It would be a very short chapter because all it would cover would be from 28 down to 32. And then chapter 4 would begin where... Chapter 3 is. But in that third chapter of the Hebrew Bible, the second chapter of our English Bible, beginning at verse 28, listen to these words. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my maids, men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. As the Lord has said among the remnant of whom the Lord calls. The... The, 
One of the big bugaboos, let me use that word. You know, a lot of you have no idea what that means. One of the big bugaboos in, 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 in our English Bible at, at chapter 2, verse 28, is there seems to be a connection between the previous information of repentance and turning back to God and then the next phrase, and, and, and it shall come to pass afterwards. Almost like it's an immediate action. But that's really not what happened. It's a little misleading. Joel was speaking of not only an imminent happening, but something that was going to take place yet in the future. Prophecy has a way of doing that. In the book of Isaiah, let me give you an example. In the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah writes, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And that had an immediate, if you will, happening because there was a virgin that did conceive and bring forth a child. And his name was called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. That was a promise of God to the nation of Israel to prove to them that he was going to sustain them in a coming battle. But there was another meaning behind that, if you will, behind the scenes, that as you go to the, the gospel of Matthew, and then as you go to Luke's gospel, you come to realize the true fulfillment of what was happening. The same is here with Joel. The, the nation of Israel, if you, if you want these locusts to go, then you've got to come back to God. Bring yourself low. Humble yourself. Repent. Not necessarily that word repent doesn't mean repent of your sins. It literally means change your mind. Instead of walking away from God, begin to walk to him. Then, God's going to do something great. The question at hand that was given to me is this. In Joel chapter 2, which we just read, 28 and 29, it talks about how the Spirit will come upon people. And how they will prophesy and dream dreams. And I've heard people refer to this passage as happening now. Is that true? The day of the Lord is also referred to as to when this happens a few years later. When exactly is that? That's a great question. Now go to Acts chapter 2. Now go to Acts chapter 2. Joel laid the foundation. Peter builds the house. And it happens at a very interesting time. It's at the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, according to Jewish tradition, is celebrated 50 days after the celebration of Passover. It is to be, if you will... 
a time of rejoicing, a time of, of, of reflecting to God of his provision of a new harvest. Sometimes it's even referred to as a, a harvest of first fruits. If you want the Hebrew word, it's Shavat. But here, Peter, and many more, by the way, other than the disciples, are in, they're hunkered down in an upper room. And the reason they're there is because chapter 1, Jesus tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. And then in, in, in verse 8, he describes what that promise is. For you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They had no idea of what this was going to be like. They had no clear understanding as to exactly when it was going to happen. Because between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, you have a period of 10 days of waiting. Do you know how difficult it is to wait for Christmas when the decorations are up? I don't think they were decorating the upper room. They were there because they were scared to death. They figured Jesus is dead. Oh, they saw him arise, but now they're coming after us. But they're in this upper room. They've chosen another disciple to take the place of Judas Iscariot in Acts chapter 1. And now they're waiting in Acts chapter 2. Ten days of waiting. It's described for us, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were in all in one accord. By the way, if you want to know something, what kind, what kind of car does Jesus drive? A Honda, because they're all in one accord. Okay, we got that. All. <clears throat> they were all in one place. That's really what it means. It's not a model type of a vehicle. They were all in one accord in one place. They were glad to be together. And while they are together, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That word tongues there it should be translated known languages. This isn't gibberish that's going on here. God is not the author of gibberish. They spoke in known languages that later on in the text is described to the fact that they were speaking a language that they never learned in school, but other people could understand them from other lands that they came from. That's not gibberish. That's for a sermon for another time. So what was happening here? 
the Holy Spirit showed up and began to dynamically and drastically and empowering these people that all of a sudden they came out of that upper room different than when they went in. So dynamic it was that as you read the the following verses, you come to find out that from all over the region of the known world at that time, individuals were in Jerusalem. And it says that they heard them in their own language. And it caused them to wonder, what is going on here? What is this all about? There's a couple of things we can take from this passage, even before getting to what I want to share. First of all, as the men were behind me, and as you attested and heard, one of the things that we will have to do as a board, one of the things that you'll have to do as a church, is wait. Sometimes we try in our lives to run our show. We think we can handle it better than God can. We got the information from the word of God. The disciples had all they needed to do ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. But what they didn't have was the empowerment of the power to be able to do the ministry of the church. So Jesus said, wait. There were times in my life, and I'm sure you can attest to that, you realize that waiting is not one of the best things that we do. Our minds are drawn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 and verse 31, where it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up as eagles with wings. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Waiting in the ministry of Jesus Christ is difficult to do, but the rewards are fantastic. They were told to wait in order to receive power. So that they could accomplish what God wanted them to accomplish. Because if we begin to step out and do our own thing instead of waiting for God, then it becomes what we've done. But when we wait upon the Lord, not only to be empowered, but then all of a sudden we find out that what things get done, it's because of God moving. On the second Tuesday of every month, and this month it was the third Tuesday because of a snow ice thing, okay. But every month, the second Tuesday, 
And these men, we gather together and we pray. Sometimes we pray longer, sometimes we pray shorter, but we pray. We focus on prayer. And we're finding out that the more we pray, the less we do, but the more God does. And we get out of our meetings no later than 9 o'clock, and I get an amen from the board. God moves. And these people that were in the upper room, hunkered down for fear, came out fearless. And they began to speak with authority. So much so that all the other people from other nations says, what does this mean? Oh, there's always a group that doesn't coincide with that because there was a group that said, oh, they're just drunk. Sounds like Democrats, but they were all just drunk. That's for another sermon for another time, too. But anyway, Peter has changed. Just a few days, about most likely 50 days prior to this, Peter was fishing. And Jesus is gone. Let's go fish, man. That's all I need to do. That's all I know what to do. And he meets Jesus on the shore. John chapter 20, if you wish to follow that. But yeah, he's in the upper room. And now Peter, the one who denied Jesus by the fire, now becomes a demonstrator for Jesus and his power. And he begins to speak. Notice what he says as we pick up the narrative here in verse 14. Um, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. These are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of day. But this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. But this, this is the meaning of that. Now you're all going to have to come back next week to get the second part of the sermon. Because our time is gone. And there's 20 some kinds of Oreos. (laughs) No, really, there's ladies in the nursery. (laughs) I don't really care about Oreo cookies. You can tell I'm physically divine. Me and Oreos, we got something in common. I got a lot of cream in the middle. <laughs> but anyway, read Joel chapter 2, beginning verse 28. And then come over to Acts chapter 2, begin at verse 17. And you're going to see 
Lord willing, next week we'll point out some of the unbelievable things that God wants to do in the lives of people if they will wait on him. That'll be our goal next week. I trust you'll come back. Let's pray. Father, it is exciting. It's also encouraging to know that they who wait upon you shall have renewed strength. We don't do that very well. We want everything right now. But in order for us as a church and as individuals, in order for us to experience the overwhelming empowerment of your leading, there comes days that we have to wait. I pray, oh God, that as we, throughout the rest of this week, as we take the time to go over these two passages of Scripture and we look at them and And we begin to read the events that surround them. I pray, oh God, that our hearts would be thrilled to see and to know and to understand. Even as the choir sang this morning, Lord, do it again. Develop in our lives, in this church. Develop it as you did even back when Peter first spoke this is what it means to be empowered by the very presence of the Holy Spirit. And may the world, O Lord God, be ignited again. May there be a revival in our country again. And may, O God, may you use your church To ignite the hearts of people in order that they would ask the question, what does this mean? And to you be the honor and the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen.